my friends, the great experiment. I'm running out of time. Hidden trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick. Trick. Your people, your old astronauts, are some kind of star trick. The greatest trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. It's spring break for Greatest Trek. Yeah, I guess so. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do things a little different for the next few weeks. Yeah, we're uh, going to appear on Star Trek podcasters gone wild as many times as we possibly can. Oh yeah, I've. Uh, I've already pulled my shirt up over my head. <laughs> I've just gotten mine wet. Uh-huh. I gotta leave something to the imagination, you know. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about this. We're gonna be uh, kind of poking our heads around in, in some of the other non-Star Trek works of uh, some of our favorite luminaries of Star Trek. Yeah, keeping it where we can on the new Star Trek side of things. Yeah. But we're not exclusively keeping it on that side. No, not at all. This is our playtime. Yeah. This space in between. No, no, no. Don't go. Don't go. Don't go. I'm sorry. Everybody's unsubscribing because we're not talking about Star Trek. I'm just very concerned about it. Oh, yeah. I'm not concerned at all. I think this is going to be our best work. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And what's more, I'm not going to beg them to stay. Yeah. If you want to go, fucking go. This is going to be great. (laughs) Oh. We've got a couple of weeks ahead. Uh, we should let's tell the friends of Desoto what we plan on doing for the next few weeks. That's a great idea. Just to uh, get people excited, we're going to do the pilot episode of Twelve Monkeys, Terry Metalis's TV show today, and then next week we're going to recap a classic piece of cinema that I'm sure everyone has seen, a film from 2019, directed by Jared Cohn. Written by Maurice Hurley and William Shatner, starring William Shatner and Jerry Ryan. It's called The Devil's Revenge. Buckle up for that. One week later. We're going to be watching a Cheers episode called Strange Bedfellows. Yeah. I guess there's three episodes on that run that Kate Mulgrew's on. Oh, boy. Uh, I I love Cheers. I don't think I've seen a Kate Mulgrew episode Mm-hmm. So my wife and I have been kind of picking our way through Cheers here and there, but it's it's kind of a show that you know we'll put on at the end of the night if we need to kill twenty more minutes before we go to bed. If you if you need to get in the mood, yeah, <laughs> more like if the uh, milk pumping session is not yet complete, and sure. uh, I'm gonna hang out out of solidarity. Cool. Well, uh, in the middle of our spring break, maybe the Apex episode of our sandbox takes place. We were looking high and low for how we can possibly do a bar rescue episode of Greatest Trek. And we found an excuse to do that because Alexander Siddig is a guest on an episode of Bar Rescue. And we're going to be watching that episode for Greatest Trek uh, just a few weeks from now. I'm tremendously excited about this, not least of which because usually the people on episodes of Bar Rescue seem like they would probably be like insurrectionists if they weren't on Bar Rescue. Sure. And I don't think that that's Alexander Siddig's energy, so it'll be a weird episode. Lunch tomorrow? Of course. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to hearing your voice absolutely shredded by the end of that. (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be a lot of screaming on that one. 
Uh, coming in uh, after that, we've got a an episode of Law and Order SVU featuring Babs Olusan Makun, who plays uh, the Doctor, of course, on Strange New Worlds. And then we're we're kind of uh, starting to starting to get warmed up for the premiere of Strange New Worlds. Right after that, we get to experience Carol Kane in what I think is maybe the weirdest episode of Greatest Trek ever. We're going to be watching a Tales from the Crypt episode. I'm already terrified. Where Carol Kane plays the lead. That's going to be big, big fun. Yeah. That episode is called Judy, You're Not Yourself Today. (laughs) And then uh, the week before the beginning of Strange New Worlds Season 2, we're going to watch the pilot of Anson Mount's cowboy show, Hell on Wheels, which also had Colin Meany in uh, a main role in the cast. I love that. I love that idea. Ben, for that episode, let's drink some great whiskey during. What do oh you boy. think? Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> not a huge whiskey drinker, but I'll uh, I'll suspend the rules for, for this, I think. I've got some good whiskey for you. Maybe you'll even like it. Okay. But we should... Wow. Uh, we should appreciate that episode like a couple of dirty cowboys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Well, uh, I think uh, maybe we'll have uh, Wendy include links to all of these in the show description for this episode so that if folks want to watch along with us, they're easy to find. Yeah. There's a very cool uh, music festival poster that will have all of this information as well. <laughs> Be sure to share that with the FODs. If you come across it. Oh, man. Pretty good bit of business by me. Good, good stuff. Uh, Can't wait to see which bands are in little tiny text down at the bottom and which bands are in huge text up at the top. I'm going to do what I can to uh, make sure that Bar Rescue isn't the headliner. (laughs) But, I mean, come on. I can't tell if I'm... $30 for a corn dog! (laughs) This beer is lukewarm. Nobody wants this. No wonder your customers all left. I was just thinking uh, about band posters and how I'm always like recognizing the bands in the middle and often mm-hmm. not knowing the ones at the top and at the bottom. Oh yeah, you don't even read the bigs, do you? But I'm I'm thinking they're communicating something to you in that, right? Like the. The bigs, obviously super mainstream, like these are the top 40 hit makers and and whatnot. And then if you're like hanging out in the middle, you're like, oh, like I have like slightly esoteric taste. But if you know all those ones at the bottom, you're like, you're ahead of the curve. You know, you're on the bleeding edge where you got to be. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a it's like a vision test of coolness. (laughs) If you can if you can see the bottom and recognize the bottom, you're very cool. Yeah, yeah, and then they make you put that paddle over one of your eyes, and you're like, ah, I don't feel that cool anymore. <laughs> Seems yeah. like one of my eyes is cooler than the other. And then you put on the plastic glasses at the end, and you are very cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The coolest. Coolest kid in the biz. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I have coolness astigmatism, unfortunately. <laughs> I bet. Terminal. Terminal case of that. Yeah, being a Star Trek podcaster, I would have to. But uh, today I'm not a Star Trek podcaster, Adam. Today I'm casting pod about a sci-fi original series based on a Terry Gilliam film. Mm -hmm. I have a fond memory of the Terry Gilliam film, 12 Monkeys, being the first movie I ever watched on digital versatile disc. 
Wow. Yeah. Went over to my friend's house. His father had bought one of those huge widescreen HD TVs that was a tube TV. Yeah. It was like the aspect ratio and flat screen of a modern television, but was still a cathode ray tube. It probably weighed as much as a Volkswagen. And they got a, a nice DVD player and they'd rented some DVDs and we watched 12 Monkeys. That was our first DVD. My roommates in college had one of those. Uh, could not be moved, basically. Yeah. I think we ended up leaving it in the dorms. Like, now it's the RA's problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if you want to get into this episode of 12 Monkeys. See if we can't learn a couple of things about uh, Terry Metalis, the much lauded showrunner of season three, the final season of Star Trek Picard. It's season one, episode one. Splinter. The cold open is in the year 2043, and a voiceover says the visual part out loud about (laughs) what it's like to live post-apocalypse. Turns out it's a drag. Seems cold. Yeah. Yeah, the voiceover is basically saying, like, it's better to not live in the (laughs) post-apocalypse. This is our only bit of voiceover the entire episode. Yeah. You don't need it. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. I wonder if they return to voiceover. Is if is the voiceover the captain's log of this show, or do they abandon that after this? One of my many regrets about this exercise specifically, and I it sounds like you already have many yourself, Ben, <laughs> is that I wonder if this was a nod to the movie or the book in some way, because I also remember really liking the movie, but I don't remember it that well. And I certainly didn't read the the source material. Made me wonder if that was a specific nod to that. I knew the connection to the uh, French experimental short film La Jete, but I didn't realize it was also based on a book. Oh, I'm almost positive it was. I'm hearing the family feud strike sound in my head. <laughs> oh, look at this. Elizabeth Hand wrote the book. Wow. So uh, we're talking to the Hand through the medium of television. Wait a second. Wait just a minute. Was that a was that a like a novelization of the film? I think that's what I'm looking at here. <laughs> Come on! A nerve-shattering thriller based on the Universal Picture starring Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, and Brad Pitt. God damn it. (laughs) It's okay, buddy. Sounds like it's a good book. Sounds like it made an impression. Yeah, we'll never know. (laughs) If it wasn't read by Robert Petkoff, I'm not reading it. (laughs) Um, So Cole, the the main character here, played by Aaron Stanford, is, uh, is in this cold open. Uh, His face will be very familiar to anyone that enjoyed season three of Star Trek Picard because he played Sneed. Yeah, uh, very familiar looking. (laughs) I don't know you. Uh, Barely recognizable, I thought. (laughs) Uh, Yes. But that's got to be part of the fun of being an experienced showrunner, right? It's like pulling from... From your own players, like Wes Anderson would, you know? Totally. You bring your people in. There's a bunch of fun drop-ins in this episode from people that we also saw in Star Trek Picard. Yeah. So he finds a a watch in this, like, bombed-out office building. 
And then we're suddenly 30 years earlier in 2013. I was shocked that uh, there wasn't a lot of meat on the arm where they found that watch, you know? Mm. Especially with how cold it is outside. Would you expect a little more meat? I mean... For for like 20 years or whatever? Yeah, it's... uh, This is sci-fi. How much meat can you show? Is it just winter, though? Like, like we learn a little bit about what happened in this, and it seems like uh, it was just a plague. It's not, it didn't like change the atmosphere also, right? It's not plague and nuclear winter. It's a hell of a combination. <laughs> right, yes. Maybe it's just cold right now, but it had plenty of summers to rot around in. Yeah. They sure don't suggest that there's any romanticism between Cole and Cassandra in this moment, because if I were a time traveler and I got the chance to hold my wife's dead hand at some point. Like, I would make that a moment, wouldn't you? Ooh la la. You nasty girl. Not if it was like a bone with like a a (laughs) tiny scrap of meat still clinging to it. You You wouldn't? Also, why is the lab coat still lily white despite the fact (laughs) that a body rotted inside of it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it should look like butcher paper. (laughs) Yeah, it should look like what's left on the tray after you have a big meal of barbecue. I wonder what the gore constraints are of a sci-fi show, a sci-fi channel show, I should say. Right. This is sci-fi spelled S-Y-F-Y. And yeah, yeah, this is uh, not a terribly gory episode. I mean, there's a little bit of blood, I guess. We cut over to 2013 and we see that same watch being worn by a speaker at a podium. And this is Cassie talking about when we'll face the next pandemic or epidemic. And if you're a medical professional and you're doing like a big speech, wouldn't you choose a color of blouse that doesn't look exactly like medical scrubs? (laughs) Because until she steps out from in front of it, I was like, wow. So she like walked right off of a hospital floor (laughs) behind the lectern. Like she's a hard worker. Yeah, I didn't have time to change. Sorry, guys. Let's get this started. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for waiting. (laughs) She's just covered in blood like... She's on that show, Children's Hospital. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It uh, never gets any easier. And uh, <laughs> let's get going. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So she's she's walking the assembled medical professionals here through what some past precedents are for plagues that like radically reduce the population of humans on Earth, and she shows a an image of uh, Pennsylvania Memorial just last year where they had an outbreak of like whooping cough or something. (laughs) I didn't know that Pennsylvania Memorial Hospital was in China. (laughs) There are a bunch of like medical vehicles parked in the background with Chinese lettering and like, I don't know, like UN logos on them or something. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a 2013 in which the U.S., I guess, is maybe getting foreign aid for its whooping cough outbreaks. Uh-oh. Or a stock photo that production pulled and uh, nobody had time to Photoshop the lettering on the sides of the ambulances in the picture. So what my theory presupposes is that uh, 12 Monkeys exists in the Red Dawn cinematic universe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is uh, Reboot Red Dawn universe. So, 
So previously there had been a takeover by China that then America won uh-huh. afterwards, and then this is the time after the victory, right? Where we're talking about that time. Yeah, but like uh, like many conflicts, the uh, the invaders left a lot of material behind sure. that you know was adaptively reused because it'd be a shame to let these tanks and ambulances go to waste. Sure. You just hope the tanks and ambulances come in handy where they're left. So Dr. Rayleigh finishes her speech. It's a standing ovation. People just love her shit. She's great. She's walking out. She's on the phone with her hunky beau who worked for a senator, very politically connected. This is a real power couple. A lot of oral sex talk mm-hmm. happening here. Yeah. The sexual favors will come fast and furious if this guy makes it home tonight. Wow. I a few times. Yeah, thinly veiled code words being thrown around mm-hmm. because uh, Aaron's in a room full of people and Cassie's walking through a dark parking lot to her vehicle. So she gets in her car and she's still on the phone when Cole like leans out of the shadows behind her and uh, tells her to drive or whatever. She tells Aaron to call the police. He does so. There's like, you know, the senator is in the room. So this is like an emergency that is getting some attention from people in preposterously high places. Yeah. I mean, if it's going to happen, really fortunate it's happening at this exact moment, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, gun violence in America. Like, it really doesn't seem like it's going to change until a very highly placed Republican has a family member that is a victim of it. Or a, a time traveler with knowledge of how much worse it could possibly get. Yeah, yeah. So, comes back to change things. So he's got a knife, but he explains he doesn't want money. Uh, he wants Leland Frost. And she's like, I, don't, I can't get you Leland Frost. I have no idea who the fuck that is. Boy, really want to note for a second how much time passes between the dialogue of I don't want money before Cole finally says what he is there for. Yeah, Because I think if you're a woman in that situation and your assailant says they don't want money, there is a terrifying next thought you have. You're filling in gaps that he should not be leaving. Right. And he's definitely the kind of time traveler that hasn't done a lot of uh, pre-planning on how you might go about talking to somebody about the fact that you're a time traveler. I think... At least half of time travel is customer service, right? Yeah, if not 90%, right? Like, right. There, like yeah. there's the technological miracle that's the 10%, but the other 90% sure. is like... How do you delight your audience in that moment? Okay, this is going to be a kind of a tough pill to swallow, but hear <laughs> me out. <laughs> what you need are better people people to send back in time. That's what you interview for. Yeah. I am very curious about this show. I think it's a good first episode. Like, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff set up in this first episode. But Mm -hmm. one thing it really throws away that was a big part of the movie is Cole not being sure if he is remembering things correctly. Yeah. He has a certainty about him the whole time. Yeah, like he is able to prove, uh, you know, in a few scenes that he actually is a time traveler in a way that like Cassandra is like still pushing back after that. But it's it's a, a totally different premise. You know, it's not Cole trying to like sit in his psychiatric ward and go like, maybe I'm not a time traveler. 
were you watching it with that kind of uh, thing going on? Like, oh, this isn't how I remember it. This isn't how I remember it either. Or were you able to enjoy it straight through as a totally distinct creation? I I think that it took me maybe the first 20 or 30 minutes to set aside the movie and accept that this was going to be a different story with a lot of the same like characters and themes. Took you half the episode, brother. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Like I was wondering how they were going to establish him as being like psychiatrically potentially unstable or whatever. Yeah. Part of what makes him seem so unstable is that he has a certainty about what he's there to do and who he's there to find. And when Cassie doesn't know who or what he's talking about, yeah, he becomes very upset in a very scary way if you think you're dealing with a person who is uh, not all the way there mentally. Yeah, he's like, he's like, are you doing like the Mariah Carey thing of I don't know her or are you doing like the I really don't know her thing yeah. about Leland Frost? But, you know, he's he's got like her whole life story mapped out in his head and like he even gives her some items on her CV that haven't happened yet. And so she's like, what are you talking about, dude? Yeah. Um, but this plague is coming. It's four years away from 2013. And he even brought that watch that he found in the in the cold open. Presumably in his keister. Up his ass. I think you got to bring the hand with you, right? <laughs> like the watch, the watch is cool and surprising in a close magic kind of way. And there's a lot of scenes in this episode that feel like that. Like, don't take your eyes off the watch. Yeah. That kind of way. But if you bring a severed hand back, Mm -hmm. And it's your hand. Oh, yeah. I'd recognize those bones anywhere. <laughs> Wouldn't you? It's harder to get the watch plus hand up your butt for the time traveling, though. <laughs> I guess so. He has a very fun trick he shows Cassie once they get out of the car and into an abandoned warehouse space. He's like, uh, look at this watch. And then he takes out a watch that looks exactly like the one she's wearing. It's not just like yours. This is your watch. From my time, your future. And then he, he scratches it with a knife. And this creates bangers. Bangers that scratch the other watch. So he, he scratches past watch, and that creates a scratch on the future watch. This was more convincing in his head than, than it is to her <laughs> in this scene. Because she's seen close-up magic before. Yeah, she's like... I visited the Magic Castle on a recent trip to L.A. I yeah. know what people are capable of. <laughs> You're a talented illusionist, sir, but a time travel, you are not. Yeah, it's just not enough. And when the sirens close in, I mean, they got to get out of that warehouse building. But behind a dumpster isn't going to be safer than the warehouse, really. Bad strategy by Cole when he leans out from behind that dumpster and is shot by a sharpshooting cop down yeah. that alley. Yeah. Great shot. This cop is no stormtrooper. Absolutely no. nails him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's dark. It's, uh, that, that is more impressive to Cassie in this scene than his story of time travel or the close-up magic. She's like, wow. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, I got to go, <laughs> but uh, find me two years from today in uh, this particular hotel. I'll be there. I need your help. And then 
another banger starts happening and he vanishes out of thin air right in front of her. I love that there's no effect. There's no shimmer or sound effect even. He's just blinked away. Yeah. You can't find me. I love it. Yeah, fun to think about how they accomplished that while the camera is like shaking back and forth. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because it's a handheld camera move when it swivels around onto her face, I think. So this is this was all our cold open before the title, 12 Monkeys. Are you hooked? I'm in. I'm, As a cold open goes? I want to see this thing through. Good cold open. Yeah. Definitely kind of a low rent graphics treatment on the title, though. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is definitely like a basic cable grade of title sequence. I think I remember using this font for a video <laughs> project. Yeah. I, I definitely remember buying this from a foundry somewhere. Yeah, I think uh, all of us that like wanted to be filmmakers in the 90s used this font at one point or another. <laughs> For sure, yeah. After the theme, we're in the year 2015, and it's a bar. And it's funny how few shots it takes for you to recognize a hotel bar even, you know? Really true. Something so comfortable about it. There's Cassie. She's at the bar. And uh, that's got to be where she was told to be, the where and the when that Cole gave her. And you hate to see that she might have had too many old fashions. I think old fashioned is a great one drink, mm. maybe two. I don't know if you want that third old fashioned if you're Cassie. Yeah. You definitely don't want that third old fashioned if it's John Taffer mixing it for you. <laughs> Do you know about that that John Tafford flub? Nope. He, he went on like I want to say like um like a Good Morning America or similar style morning show. I just all I want to see in the world is Taffer being like introduced and the camera pans over and see him walking out the way he walks. <laughs> <laughs> he is like for some reason demonstrating how to make a cocktail because like television segment mm-hmm. producers have no ideas. And despite the fact that he has never claimed to be a bartender, that's what they had him doing on this segment. And he he says, like, I'm going to teach you how to make an old-fashioned. Some people will make the same drink and put one or two drops of vermouth in it. I do half and half. Damn. Hugely, hugely embarrassing for a man of his profession. Man, the only difference is vermouth versus simple syrup, right? Am I... Way off on that? One's served on ice and the other is served up, typically. Sure. Uh, they're both whiskey-based uh, simple cocktails, so it's not like right. it's not like the worst thing in the world, but uh, but yeah. No, they're both delicious. Yeah. If I'm drinking for quantity, I'm having more Manhattans than Old Fashions, though. There's something just less sweet about yeah. Yeah. Manhattan. Well, a sweet vermouth is less sweet than sugar. <laughs> That's knowledge. <laughs> We cut to later, and Cassie is woken by the cool bartender. Like, she slept in the lobby or passed out in the lobby. Oh, we come to find out she's been there for a week and has been staying in the hotel. So I presumably she's just, like, spending as much time in the lobby as she possibly can. There are many hotels where I think you'd be permitted to just crash in the lobby, right? (laughs) 
No, I think they would ask you to leave. Much yeah. like they're trying to ask Cole to leave when she goes to check out. Yeah. The yeah, the bartender's like, whoever this guy is, he ain't worth it if he's making you wait like this. Yeah. Cool bartender. So she takes that advice for action and goes to check out of her room. And Cole shows up and he's like being manhandled by hotel security who are trying to kick him out. Uh, he's dressed exactly the same as the last time she saw him and has a bullet wound in the exact same place as the last time she saw him. Hard not to take the side of the valet or the concierge who intercepted this guy <laughs> wandering into the hotel. I think it's a bad idea to let him go up to the reception area. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that Terry Gilliam did not have a credit uh, in the credit sequence that was rolling during huh, this scene. That is interesting. I wondered about that. If he like disavowed or something. Cassie's like, it's all right. This hobo's with me. <laughs> and she takes him up to her room. And everybody's like, okay, no more questions. Yeah. Uh, feel free to let him bleed on the furniture upstairs. Right. <laughs> so... Up in her room, Cassie makes a classic $20 mistake at the minibar mm. <laughs> by, by touching a couple of bottles before she finds the one that will be the wound sanitizer. Cole passes out from this. You see it all the time in movies and TV. You put that rag of alcohol into the wound. Yes. Yeah. Yikes. It's like huffing chloroform, you know? Knocks people right out. Cole has a vision while he's knocked out, though. He's, he's in a, a cell and he's getting shit-talked by the lady outside about fate. Yeah. She says something really interesting, though. It's like a yearbook quote. Spirituality is just science we don't understand yet. Yeah, it's like a, a yearbook quote by somebody that loves Star Trek, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you believe in fate? Sure. Fate, karma. And ships named Enterprise. She's got like a German accent. Her name is Jones. And... She is basically pitching him on a get-out-of-jail-free card, which is come work for me. Come, yeah. uh, come like, do this project with me. And She's the Troutman to Cole's Rambo, sure, right? Sure, yeah, She's going to send him back in time to take pictures. But he's not Rambo yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's... Uh, it sort of calls back the voiceover at the beginning, right? The the switch you can flip to reset the apocalypse is what she yeah. is uh, is what she's selling, and mm -hmm. brother, he's buying. Oh yeah, we go into and out of these. I don't want to flashbacks is incorrect, but like in the television parlance, that's what this is. These are flashbacks to moments before for Cole. Yeah. Flashbacks relative to his lived experience, but not relative to the objective timeline. <gasps> Precisely. <laughs> we see him in a recliner between these two big lights mm -hmm. uh, that are attached to what look like jet engines. Yeah, they have a schism device in this future. Yeah. And then he wakes back up in the hotel three days later. She is really racking up a massive bill at this hotel. I was just going to say, like, there's late checkout, and then there's three days late checkout. <laughs> and the, the costs associated are astronomical. I hope she's got good status with her Bonvoy membership. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I mean, with what we learn about her and her lost, you know, she's no longer a doctor. She's seen as a as a loony. She's not a professional anymore. How does she afford this? 
This yeah. is a nice hotel. This is a suite. Maybe she's independently wealthy. Yeah. People that hang out with senators often are. Cassie's impressed. She's like, uh, you've been asleep for three days, but look at your bullet wound. Yeah. It's almost completely healed. Doing great. And the bullet wound healing is what makes her start to believe. The watch trick, insufficient. The disappearing coal trick, also insufficient. I mean, that was enough to get her to come to the hotel, I guess. Right. Cole has slept through his alarm, though. Three days? Oh, no. He, like, he snaps into action. Cassie's like, look, uh, we don't have to check out for another couple hours, and I'm already on the hook here. <laughs> what do you say we chill out in the room a little while? I've already sort of uh, broken the seal on the mini bar, so I'm <laughs> kind of thinking that this is a, maybe just an opportunity to have a little bit of a party. Look, I'm just going to have to throw away all my room snacks, you know. <laughs> Might as well eat them. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go for, uh, oh, there weren't any things in the mini bar when I got in here kind of thing when I go back down to check out. Yeah. I'm hoping they're more focused on the blood stains on all the upholstery <laughs> than the fact that the mini bar's fucked up. Yeah. Anyways, uh, put your put the little bottles in my luggage uh, and not in the garbage <laughs> can as you finish them. So after having been slowed down by Cassie, Cole's like, "All right, story time." There's this plague in 2017 that kills most of the people on Earth. The survivors become scavengers, and we see some of the uh, the brutality and desperation of these scavengers via flashback. There was a lot of jumping over chain link fences and then getting clubbed on the other side. There's a lot of bodies tripping and falling below frame and then being bludgeoned by uh, blunt force trauma. Right. We learned scientists find a reset switch in some warehouse. Yeah. And they want to use this to stop the plague from happening in the first place. And interestingly enough, Cassie was with the CDC at the time of the plague's bloom, and that's where she died. And her last message to the world is blaming Leland Frost for the plague. Yeah, and they have this like messed up recording that's, you know, clearly, clearly bits and pieces of it are missing. They get pretty argumentative in this scene about like, if the message was so important, why didn't you back it up? Like, why did you just record it the one time? It's obviously not good to just have one copy of anything. Right. One is none. <laughs> uh, she also mentions Cole in this recording. So yeah, uh, yeah. seems like uh, it's not that he picked her, it's that she picked him. I love the dodging around the Eastern seaboard that we do here. It feels very much like being on tour together. <laughs> like Philadelphia, DC, Baltimore, <laughs> yeah. Boston. In Baltimore, we find Bunny Colvin at a brownstone there to greet Cole and Cassie. That poor guy can't get out of Baltimore. Yeah, this is a buddy of Cassie's dad. And it's there that they learn that it's not Leland Frost that they're looking for, it's Leland Goines. And uh, this is a guy that looks like the bad guy in every political thriller from the last <laughs> 20 years. Like, this guy's off the production line. Yeah, because he did play the bad guy in every political <laughs> Yeah, the last twenty years, he it's, really gets around. It's uh, Zilko Ivanek, uh, yeah. who is just one of the all-time that guys. Yeah, really great. Yeah, and and I guess his like his code name for his internal corporate security is Frost. Oh yeah, 
So that's where the confusion came from. Uh, probably a good time to say I really like the casting in this show. The casting is fun. It seems really strong all around. Yeah. And there's more twists and turns with the casting. Uh, so mm-hmm. a lot to look forward to. So this Leland guy is going to be at a DC party soon with a senator. And kind of a lot is made about how difficult it would be to attend such a party. Not really an issue at all for them. They pound a couple of burgers, buy some clothes, and then we're at the party. Yeah. Well, Dr. Rayleigh has ins with senators. Sure. As far as her star has fallen, she still knows Aaron. So, yeah. If you're a crazy person, like here's here's one of the things that this show really foreshadows nicely about the future is that if you're a crazy person, you still have a direct line to a lot of the political power in this country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, they presumably they stopped for uh to to get their outfits after the burgers because they're not greasy when they show up to this party. Cole cleans up the way a guy who's wearing a suit to an arraignment for the first time does. Yeah. But uh, Dr. Rayleigh looks great. Uh, she looks like one of the ladies from the magazines he enjoys in the future. Which magazines? Fun moment. <laughs> yeah. You know, the magazines that are in the forest in the future. <laughs> the magazines where some of the pages you can't look at. Look, I'm talking about Big Naturals, okay? (laughs) Do you have Big Naturals in your time? I'll take it. Yeah. I wondered, like, what went into the decision that Aaron Stanford made for how Cole would eat. There's a scene where he's eating nuts in this episode and then another scene where he's eating a burger. And, like, both times the way he puts food in his mouth is just super strange looking for some reason. Yeah, there's, like... He does that thing with a burger you see sometimes in commercials where like someone puts it in lower bun first and then tilts the burger up. Right. So that the top part of the burger then goes in. Yeah. And with the nuts, it's like he gets like a fistful of nuts and then is eating the nuts like as they fall out of his fist into his mouth. Yeah. Like it's so fucking weird looking. But uh, a consistent character choice and not just like a weird mistake, I think. It says a lot about Cassie's kindness and patience that she isn't uptight about the cleanliness of her car or the smell of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I lived in this time, this is all I'd eat. <laughs> Cheeseburgers, every meal. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. 
That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So they make it into this party by kind of flagging down Aaron, who's walking around with uh, the senator. And he walks over and finds a Dr. Cassie Rayleigh uh, who has cleaned her life up. She's yeah. she's no longer a lunatic from what he can tell. So uh, this is a pleasant surprise for him. He's happy to see her. I mean, not only that, he knows as much as anyone that uh, nobody fucks like crazy. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he sees a chance. Yeah. 
Not quite sure who this uh, sort of scruffy dude that she has with her is, but uh, he kind of waves them through the extremely thin security at the front of the party and uh, excuses himself to go kiss some A. Mm -hmm. And they start walking around looking for Leland Goins. And uh, they've talked a little bit about what the plan is, W slash R slash T, Leland Goins. And Cole <laughs> is just like, yeah, I'm going to, like, once we find him, I'll grab him and then I'll kill him. And <laughs> right. She's like, you know, he's like the head of a company. So he probably has lots of underlings that are like doing the projects that lead to the things that go bad in the future. So killing him might not actually solve your problem. And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I just got to kill this one guy. And then this is all over. In the column of Cassie's kindness or forgiveness or just down for whateverness, there's never a point where she's like, well, how does that affect me? When I'm at the party where you murder a guy and I came with you to that party. Like, she should care about that. And if she does, she never asks. Yeah, like he explains that he will never exist once that happens. Yeah. And it's like, so it's not even like dying. It's like, it's better than that because <laughs> I won't have existed in the first place in order to die. According to Cole's math, you could murder anyone because eventually they're going to be dead at some point. And it doesn't count. It's a little bit strange that she doesn't care, but maybe she, her life has fallen apart so much that she's kind of like, oh, what do I have to lose? <laughs> I guess. Aaron is really angling for uh, some reunion sex with Cassie. And uh, that kind of leaves Cole to work independently in the party. And don't love the way he's looking through the kitchen knives at this moment. Mm-hmm. Also don't like how he punches out the security guard that's smoking out back. This guy's just minding his own business. Yeah, but he's got that strap and uh, yeah. Cole needs a gun. He's going to do the deed. Meanwhile, the conversation between Cassie and Aaron sort of takes a left turn. Aaron yeah. is one of those guys that doesn't believe women about time travel. God, pretty ugly scene here. Yeah, he... Uh, He's one of those guys also that like when he realizes that the sex is not going to be on the table turns into a real piece of shit. You know what? I believe that something happened to you that night, Cassie, and I am sorry about that. I am. But I do not believe that it was a time travel. Okay. Boo, you whore. Well, I mean, Aaron gets when tooed here by by not believing a time travel story that his girlfriend tells. <laughs> And uh, and then Cole comes in, waving the gun around, and uh, yeah, like she warns going. This goes exactly how you'd predict it, right? This is a terrible plan, and when you see it come to fruition, it's awful. He should go way closer to Goins to to do yeah. this. I mean, like if it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, right? Like get right up to him. You know what they should have done is hired that cop that shot him from behind the dumpster. That guy fucking gets his mark every single time. Pay that guy. You know he's on the take. <laughs> then you don't have to get your hands dirty. Yeah. Oh, this is bad. This is so bad because Cole gets tased. They don't stop tasing that bro. Yeah. He, he gets tased and cuffed and so does Cassie. And outside Aaron is like, Cassie, I I let you into this party and you ruined it. I stuck my handsome ass neck out for you and now there are going to be a lot of questions, potentially like a Senate grade inquiry as to how a lunatic with a gun was allowed into this party. 
Oh, this is such a bad look for Aaron. Yeah. I really feel for Aaron in this scene. You None of this up, is Aaron. his fault. <laughs> Isn't it though? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you're saying if he just believed her initially, nothing none of this would have happened? Yeah. I don't know, man. That's a pretty big lift. <laughs> I mean, also, Aaron is in league with this like scarily powerful, shadowy corporation who are able to just like pull suspects in a crime out of the back of cop cars and take them to their own facility. Yeah. Yeah. And Leland's right there, like at the facility to meet him. And he orders Cole sedated ahead of some kind of procedure that we see next. And the dude that Cole was talking up in that party. Oh yeah. The, the rock star physician. Oliver. And Oliver gives us all the rundown on Cole's brains. And it's really crazy stuff. Lots of adrenaline lot of interest in extreme sports and uh and new metal music yeah. like totally awesome shit's happening in his birdie and like they're jealous i didn't think that this much mountain dew could be administered to one person safely <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how they really nailed cole's pandemic hair i had this haircut <laughs> he really did um yeah so he describes Cole as being like a molecular computer. Yeah. And then like Cole gets thrown into a room where Cassie also is. And Cassie, I think you're probably good taking off the, the heels at this point. Just make yourself comfortable. Oh yeah. But that floor is, it looks cold, you know? Yeah. It's like, which yeah. kind of discomfort do you want? Yeah. They're not the kind of captors that are going to like give her a pair of new balances to wear while they're doing this. Hard to know what the plan is at this point when Cole and Cassie are, are put together. Leland walks in and he's just totally menacing. He uh, mentions that he met Cole back yeah. in 87, but Cole doesn't remember this. He straight up denies it. And that's because it hasn't happened yet, but it will. And this is just mind shattering. The idea that this bit of travel to the past hasn't happened yet. You start to fully appreciate what kind of a mind-bending show this this will become. Yeah. Cole's future is this guy's past, mm -hmm. but all of this is Cole's past. No one knows who the 12 monkeys are besides, besides Leland. He said the thing. He said the name of the show right there. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that time Zephram Cochran said Star Trek on Star Trek. Cole's like, I don't know what that is. Leland's like, that's this. This is this is what we're doing. We're making 12 monkeys right here in this room. <laughs> Cole straight up isn't talking, and Leland's like, that's fine. Uh, maybe you'll start talking after we start cutting up your birdie for science. And for some reason, Cole is like, hey, you want to see a trick? I got a lot of like watch material in my magic repertoire. Leland's like, you know, there's some like card magicians and others do stuff with like balls and cups or like ropes. <laughs> I, I do a lot of stuff with watches. Leland turns back to his henches and he's like, no, no, like let him do this. I really want to see this. <laughs> I, lo I love this stuff. I lo I can't, I've been trying to get into the magic castles for years, but you got to know somebody like you got to like be friends with a magician or know somebody that's like on the list or whatever. Yeah. So uh, Cole does some close-up magic, and by that I mean two watches close up on a table. Yeah. And shit starts to go wild as soon as those watches are put into proximity. Leland's like, why is there desiccated gore hanging out for that one watch? 
<laughs> Are those supposed to look the same? Because they don't. You know what? You should really replace the strap on the one attached to the dead wrist. <laughs> Cole, like, stops Leland. He's like, I need you to stop talking during the trick, okay? Yeah. Like, I'm a performer. Yeah. This is, like, tantamount to heckling, okay? And, <laughs> and then he, like, holds the watches and, like, puts them together and touches them on a table. And yeah. They start spinning around and then, like, start glowing. And there's a little bit of war lightning. Mm-hmm. And then, like, this banger happens, and it seems like everything's moving in slow motion for everybody, but, like, slower motion for the henches and yeah. and for Cassie and everybody. Because, like, Cole grabs Cassie and, like, runs out of the room with her, like, fireman carrying her. Cole is a over-the-shoulder Cassidy holder. <laughs> As we like to say on the show. Yeah, and uh, and the watches go boom. But despite being the closest to this explosion, Leland, for some reason, survives and like comes out in the hallway licking shots before collapsing against the wall. Everyone needs to take firearms training from that one cop. The cop in the alley would have killed everyone in every scene that was necessary. He would have taken this explosion to the grill and then fucking nailed Cole in the dome. That one cop breaks this episode, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the plausibility of that destroys everything else. Yeah. So uh, so Cole goes and wastes this dude just off camera. You don't actually get to see like his skull coming apart or whatever. Which is another data point for the answer to the question, how much gore can a sci-fi show show? Which I guess isn't much. I was surprised that Cole shot Leland. I thought Leland was going to be a character. But I guess in a time travel show, he still can be. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get the 80s meeting at some point, presumably. Right, yeah. But Cole doesn't disappear after killing Leland, and that's a big uh uh-oh. Yeah. This mission is a failure. And I guess that means he's got to go kill Oliver now. And Cole is like, God fucking damn it! They injected so much fucking weird shit into my body and I'm like unmoored in time and splintering everywhere now. And I fucking shoot this guy. And now I have to have a whole TV show about trying to figure out why it didn't work. Are you kidding me? This is supposed to be so easy. And it's fucking complicated. They couldn't call the show Cole's Many Mistakes. <laughs> it's not clear enough. Yeah. It sounds like a different genre. I was amazed that the watch survived the explosion also. I had a question about this because uh, Cole grabs a watch from under a table. And I was like, is this Leland's watch that got blown off of his arm? Or is this another random watch? It wasn't super close. But yeah, I, it's. I think it's got to be Cassie's watch. One of them anyway. Yeah. I hope it's not the one with the gore on it. Yuck. Yeah. So they run towards the entrance of this building, and Cole tells Cassie she's got to stay hidden. He's got to go, and he can't promise that they're going to be together again either. And then he blinks out, and he ends up in the recliner from the before scene in between the two blue jet engines. Yeah. And Jones is there. Jones asks for an update, and he tells her he killed Leland. He did everything right. He did what he was there to do. Uh, we also see another familiar face from Star Trek Picard season three here. Clearly a buddy of uh, of Cole's, played by Kirk Acevedo, who played Kryn in Star Trek. Yeah, amazing. 
Yeah. One other callback is that this future city that they're in is called Metallus. Is it? Yeah, and it's a real dump. <laughs> <laughs> this this uh, performative vanity by Terry Metallus. Come on, man. Yeah. Get over yourself. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, so we go over and we they've they've got their big uh like board of uh of evidence that they've been using to uh prepare him for his trip to the past and he finds an image deep within the stacks of uh of some graffiti. Cole's like, "Have you even been looking at the big board? These monkeys are everywhere. They're in like multiple different pictures." You don't even need one of those magnifying glasses to see it. Yeah, it's really big. Like on this one, it's like several inches tall. There's a moment where like there are other people to kill. And Cassie's picture is the one on screen when that piece of dialogue is uttered. Kind of makes you wonder if she's going to be a target at any point and how that's going to affect Cole. Because they clearly have a good thing going. Yeah. She feeds him burgers. He doesn't need to perform sex at all. Yeah. He didn't even know food could taste like that. I know. I know. So it seems like the mission now is going to be about the 12 monkeys and not about Leland or Oliver or Cassie, really. Yeah. The button on the episode takes place in 2015 after the death of, uh, of Goins and, uh, it's one of Goins's underlings, one of these suits that he rolls around with in a psychiatric ward of a hospital. But this dude is saying Goins a bunch. So you're like, who, what is this? Yeah. Because he's talking about like, oh, your father thought of you as his legacy. So there's going to be some paperwork to sign. And then when the person he's talking to turns around, it's Stevie from Schitt's Creek. <laughs> that's not Goins, that's Stevie. May the force be with you. She seems really happy about either the massive inheritance she's due to receive or a really cool-looking monkey graffito she's drawn on the wall. Yeah, she's really talented. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? Great start. I was thinking about how many more episodes of these special spring break episodes I'd be interested in seeing after this exercise was over with, but I think I want to continue down this road. I enjoyed my time in this world. It's a fun world. It's uh, it's interesting. Did you have the problem that I had of like straining against where this diverged from the film it's based on? I really liked the 12 Monkeys movie, but that is not a film that I return to with any regularity. I can't say that I've seen it in 10 years, at least. Yeah. So I did not have that problem. And maybe that served me well in watching uh, the TV show. I think it always stuck with me because um, it's got a very similar setup to Terminator 2. Like the, oh. the mom in Terminator 2 is being told that the things she believes about the future are, you know, her mind playing tricks on her. Mm -hmm. But in 12 Monkeys, like they, they tease that out for so much longer in that film. His level of uncertainty like goes through major cycles in that film. Yeah. 
And that, I, I think it's smart for a TV show not to include that element because I just don't see how you could like draw that out for a 12 episode season or whatever. I was just going to say that sounds too complex for TV, but not so for a movie. I would say that this story is better suited to television than I would have thought. Like if, if I'd been asked to pitch a premise for adapting 12 monkeys to a TV show, I don't think my pitch would have been anywhere near as good as this. So mm -hmm. yeah, I really liked it. I think one note I have for Terry Metalis is why don't you name a, a nicer city after yourself, man? I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Is that just like a, prank being played on you by your writer's rooms or something like <laughs> stick up for yourself do you you have the script you have final edit on those right i know there's no way you're as big of a dump as a person as <laughs> as cities named after you appear to be <laughs> yeah i mean you could be a, a super fun person to do crime with maybe that's the message maybe we'll get to ask him at some point yeah um damn Terry Gilliam really dogged this show out. Oh, did he? Yeah. Not to fan? It doesn't have anything to do with me and no one has contacted me. It's a very dumb idea. Direct quote. Hmm. Well, here's what I'll say about that. Like, I think it can be hurtful for a person associated with a creative work to not ever be contacted about derivative work being made, right? And I'm sure. not just talking about 12 Monkeys. I'm talking about everything these days being a riff on something else like it's too bad when the courtesy call can't or won't happen in situations like that like there are a million reasons we probably can't understand uh why it doesn't happen but i mean that's a pretty easy way to hurt some feelings yeah you know? it's it's where commerce and art uh interact in the ugliest way and and uh, and how many times have you been told like it'd probably be a better idea if you didn't talk to that person about this project or whatever sure, like sure a person's advisors are constantly telling a person not to stir up conflict and unfortunately by not doing anything sometimes you create that kind of thing yeah Pretty interesting that Emily Hampshire plays this Jennifer Goins character basically concurrently with her role on Schitt's Creek. Like, Schitt's Creek really became a phenomenon in a way that this show did not. Um, but mm. she she really, like, kind of had a star turn in this, like, in this window of time. And I just recently watched a series with her in it called The Rig, uh, which I think is like a maybe an eight-episode miniseries on uh -huh. one of the streamers. Hmm. I thought it was great. <laughs> kind of a, a sci-fi horror thing set on a on an oil drilling platform in, in Scotland. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. That sounds like something I'd be interested in. I have not seen uh, a minute of Schitt's Creek. Oh, Schitt's Creek is great. And she's great in it. Yeah. I wish I wish people would stop fucking trying to force me to watch it. Nobody's forcing you. If the mood strikes you, I think you'll enjoy it. And if it doesn't, that's fine. There's other shows. All right, does the priority one message mood strike you, Ben? Yeah, it does. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Wow. That message goes like this. My spouse started a pandemic hobby, science fiction bookstore, <laughs> and our house is full of books. Help a FOD out and buy some. I need them out of our house. 
This is great. This is a message from Beth. Beth needs FODs to buy books from diasparbooks.com. D-I-A-S-P-A-R-B-O-O-K-S.com. Go there. Buy books. Help Beth out. Seriously. And help Beth's spouse, you know? Sure. These are science fiction books, specifically. Yeah. So if you're you're into reading some science fiction books, I think you can do Beth and family and household a big, big favor by oh, going man. to diasporbooks.com. There's this is specifically vintage, rare, collectible, and just plain old books. So uh Oh really? Yeah. Like uh like first editions of beloved classics, etc. Oh, look at these Harlan Ellisons. Yeah. That's fun. I like I, any website that has a, a techno thriller category linked on the front page. Goodbye, me. Hey, and uh, like in case Ben's description made you think that these books would be very expensive or whatever, uh, the costs look very reasonable. Yeah, we've got lots of lots and lots of uh, look at this Patriot Games by Tom Clancy. Four dollars. Add to cart. Wow, yeah. Hey, if you're listening to this episode and want that book, already sold, sucker. <laughs> Sorry. Clear and present danger, $5 add to cart. Oh, hey, look, the book adaptation of the movie 12 Monkeys. Add to cart. <laughs> hey, very cool. And uh, hopefully you get the greatest gen bump here and uh, get get these books out of your place. Pandemic science fiction bookstore seems like a great idea at the time. It sure does. Adam, our next priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Sarah, and it's to Rich. It goes like this. Happy birthday, lovey. Thanks for introducing me to all this nerdery over the years. And finally, to a podcast to help explain what on earth is going on. All my love, Sarah XXX. Well, we're a little late uh, for Sarah's request, but uh, a happy belated birthday to Rich. Happy birthday, Rich. What a nice thing for Sarah to do. Seriously. Wow, Adam. Well, this has been a very fun episode, but uh, I have a question for you. Oh, what's that? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? I don't want my making of Cassie to read as though like it's a dunk on her, but I wish there was another scene with her that further supported the case for her belief in Cole's whole deal. And I, I imagine we're going to get that in future episodes. Like we're going to flash back and forth. We're going to see the backstory more fully of Cassie. We're going to see what happened during those two years after the dumpster scene and all that. But this is a really like crucial moment in a show's story. And I felt a lot throughout the episode that like I I wanted to like Cassie more than for her kindness shown toward Cole and with a little more reason, you know? Right. Like her kindness seems to be the main reason at this point. And, and given that she's a great scientist and a doctor, I could have used a little more uh, 
more of that aspect to things, you know? Yeah. So I think that's where I'm going to go. Because that character in the film is very much like trying to apply some rigor to the extraordinary claims that the Cole character makes to her. So Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, if she was a little more like Jones, maybe, I think I, think I would dig that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, I think I'm going to give it to Cole for the extremely chaotic way in which he makes contact with people from the past and doesn't attempt to uh, lead with proof. (laughs) I mean, do you blame Jones for that? If Jones is kind of the manager of the project? Maybe it's Jones's fault. Yeah, maybe they spent too much time prepping him and not enough time like doing the the like employee training mm-hmm. of uh, of what the customer service of time travel needs to look like. It doesn't need to be any longer than a five to eight minute corporate video. These are videos I've made. Like <laughs> you can do this. Hello and welcome to Project Splinter. <laughs> if you're watching this, you're one of our newest hires and welcome aboard. We're really happy to have you here at Project Splinter. Here's a couple of things that'll make your time a little easier. Get it? (laughs) Time? (laughs) That's as good as the comedy is going to get in this very buttoned-up corporate video. If you were hoping that this would be a hot drinks Carl's Jr. employee training video, you were wrong. (laughs) All right. Week one of spring break. In the books, Ben. Yeah. Feels pretty good. Speaking of books, just checking out here at diasbarbooks.com oh yeah uh adam we got to do one last thing though oh that's right before we go that's right we've got warning bois don't we we do would you like to select a warning bois from our company slack channel sure would ben prepare a buoy and launch it when ready warning boys an emergency buoy a warning buoy Ben, this message is from a Twitter user named Joe Marie. They are at Lavida Nerdy. And their message goes like this, listening to a not-to-be-named Trek podcast. And like, I'm not saying greatest Trek is Shakespeare, but it is so well-produced. Well-produced dick and fart jokes. Wait, Shakespeare is often dick and fart jokes, so maybe? Maybe. So that's fun. Joe Marie, uh... Playing around on the Star Trek podcast space. There are dozens of us out there. <laughs> it's nice to be among Joe Marie's favorite. And you know why? How well produced it is. This is one of the, the best produced Star Trek podcasts out there. And I don't think there's any argument about that. I think that's down to Windy Pretty. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, speaking of Windy Pretty. Is that why Windy wanted us to read that one? So badly, like all the arrows are pointing to it. Yeah, it's weird. I, right. I didn't know you could highlight things as as much as as that in Slack. But uh, I got this as a text message, as a Slack. <laughs> I got it in an email. <laughs> yeah, weird. I'm um, going to mark this as red now. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to leave a warning blah on the show, just post about the show on social media, whether it's Instagram or Reddit or Mastodon or Facebook, whatever you got. Uh, we'll try and catch it and uh, get it into our list and uh, maybe we'll read it out loud on the show. Friends of DeSoto are everywhere. They are. So use the hashtag greatest generation or greatest trek, right? Do it. All right, Adam, we got to go. 
let's throw the keys over to Allie Love, who's our guest editor today, so that she can tell you about next week and uh, give you a couple more credits. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. Produced by Wendy Pretty and edited this week by Allie Love. We'll be back next Friday with a review of the 2019 movie Devil's Revenge, featuring Jerry Ryan and Bill Shatner. You can find it online for free. Just search Devil's Revenge. The Maximum Fun Drive is over, but you can always become a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. You can up your wardrobe and drinkware game with merch from Podshop.biz. And we always appreciate your five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Adam Ragusia for creating the original music for Great Strike. You can find his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusia. Nick Dittmore created the show art, and Bill Tilly manages the Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Make sure you're following those accounts and use the Greatest Trek hashtag when you talk about the show online. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.